Welcome, welcome to the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. This is the podcast where we dissect and analyze the amazing, the suspendous, the awesome, the epic power of storytelling and learn how to harness that power to unlock and enhance our everyday lives. I'm Gaurav. And I'm Kevin. You know, Kev, um, I'm thinking back to Kirfana's episode uh, when we, we read her amazing book that's now being turned into an HBO Max series, Davashasi's Last Day. Yep. And I remember that book you recommended to me. It, it's an amazing book. If you haven't read it, go read it. And it had been the first book in a while that I had read that was um, fiction. I had to second guess there because Kevin knows I, for some reason, my brain mixes up fiction and non-fiction. I think because since I was a kid, and this is a sidetrack rant, but since I was a kid, I hated the idea that non-fiction meant real and fiction meant not real. So I was like, why not do like fiction being real and non-fiction being not real because not whatever. Anyways, that's how my mind thought about it. So I often mix up fiction and non-fiction. Well, our languages are a very complicated system of communication. So when you allow real, you also need to allow expressions for fake and not fake. But yes, Dava Shastri's Kevin studied linguistics. I did. Kevin study. studied linguistics in college. If that wasn't clear. Mm-hmm. Anyways, sorry. Yes, sidetrack. Dava Shastri was an Dava Shastri's last day was just an amazing book, and so it was the first time in a while I had read a fiction book. Um, and honestly, I, as a kid, grew up thinking I wasn't a reader, right? Thinking I didn't like reading, that I didn't have the patience for it. And I think it wasn't until the end of college, right? Kind of, we looked at this and thought, huh, every book I've kind of tried to read was for school. And I wasn't reading. I wasn't sitting and reading a book. I wasn't building that skill because I told myself I couldn't. I told myself I was bad at it. I told myself always do audiobooks, always find a way around it. And I didn't develop that skill because I just wasn't a reader. And it's it's one of those labels, right? And at the end of college, Kev, you remember, I was going through a lot of stuff, looking for a job, really stressed out, and I decided to start reading. But I had to feel like everything I'm doing at all times is productive. So I would only read nonfiction books, right? To make it most productive. And that changed when I read uh, Dava Shotsley's last day because it was so exciting and interesting. It didn't have to be a television show to make me laugh and pull me in. And that's when I started kind of realizing, oh, okay, fiction has a place in my life too. Not just in comic books, not just in TV, but in novel form. And all this is to say is, um, there's two really big storytelling pieces in this story. One, that story of telling myself I'm not a reader, so I have to spend a lot of energy or focus to try to read, and I have to try to make it as productive as possible. Do you see how exhausting that sounds, just explaining it? And two, two is the story of time. This idea uh, of making all my time super productive and the risk of me reading a fiction book that may not teach me something. Um, reading to me felt like a commitment and I am terrified of making a commitment sometimes that I'm not guaranteed is going to make me better or is not going to teach me something. Um, I monologued a little bit, Kev, but uh, I'd love to kick it over to you to hear some of your thoughts on that. (laughs) Well, it does sound like you really want to 
maximize your time towards the higher goal you're constantly trying to achieve. So much so that sometimes you forget to stop and smell the roses, which is important. And as we talked to Kirtana about, you know, fiction allows us to travel worlds that otherwise we wouldn't go, or, or worlds and stories that simply don't exist but can still make us feel and think. And you know, th- that does make us a lot happier at times. Um, when you know you get your hands on a really good fiction story so wouldn't it be great if we had a guest to talk to us about time storytelling productivity and happiness kev who are we speaking to today well today we are talking to dr cassie holmes she's a professor at ucla anderson school of management and get this her field of study is happiness What's so great about, you know, having her on the show today is that uh, she's coming out with a new book called Happier Hour, How to Beat Distraction, Expand Your Time, and Focus on What Matters Most. So both of those things you just talked about, Grov, time, purpose, uh, and of course, uh, happiness, uh, we're going to dive into all of those things to understand, you know, how to make ourselves happier, how to better utilize our time. So let's get to it. Quick note before we actually begin. Halfway through our editing, we've realized that this conversation was so jam-packed with important stories and helpful insights that we need to turn this into a two-parter. So what you're about to hear is part one of our conversation with Dr. Cassie Holmes. This is the first two-parter of our season two. So let's get to it. I guess happy hours start at 11 a.m. for Grab and I today because (laughs) we have Professor Cassie Holmes joining us. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? What is your story? Yes, sure. Well, thank you so much for happy for having me. I'm like for happily having me and for um this is great. <laughs> what is my story? My story is exactly what my research is about and my book is about happier hour. It is all about figuring out how to manage this whole time thing. And so I remember Earlier in my career, uh, when I was a professor at Wharton, I had just had my baby, a four-month-old, and I was asked to give a talk up in New York, and I was like, oh, I need to do this, um, because I was a you know pre-tenured, tenure-track professor, and I was like, these are the important things to do, and it was just one of these crazy days. Like, there are so many of these, you know, rushing around days, but this one in particular, I remember so vividly, and I was... You had to wake up early to get up to New York, go give this talk. And this talk, my presentation was like slotted into back-to-back meetings. And then there's the networking dinner afterwards. And I am rushing to the train, um, yelling at the cab driver. As we know, New York City cab drivers are already driving too fast. And I was like yelling, I'm like, drive faster. I have to make the train that will get me home to my baby and my husband back in Philly. 
And I did make the train, but as I was sitting on the train, I was like looking out the window. And as I was watching the dark blur of the houses and trees was by, I was like, oh my gosh, A, I am exhausted. B, it's like seeing everything sort of flying by. I was realizing just how quickly time was passing. And between the pressures of career, wanting to be a good parent, wanting to be a good partner, you know, all the chores that are waiting for me at home, wanting to be a good friend, um, there simply weren't enough hours in the day to do it all, let alone to do any of it well, let alone to do to enjoy any of it along the way. And I was like, it's just too much. I can't keep up. And so I, it was really sort of this struggle with time. And I was thinking, I was like, maybe the solution is I just quit. Like I quit my job and I moved to a, you know, a sunny slope paced island somewhere where I'd have a whole lot more hours every day to do exactly whatever I wanted. And like, surely I'd be happier. Right. And so that was what I was, um, considering was quitting this career that I'd worked so hard for. Fortunately, I didn't. So as trained as a social psychologist, um, these are those sort of very types of questions that I always sort of take to data. And I know you guys are data guys, so you might appreciate this. I was like, wanted to know, would I actually be happier if I had a whole lot more free time? Um, and this is a question that I could test. And so I did test. So I recruited a couple of my favorite collaborators, Hal Hirschfield and uh, Marissa Sharif, to test this question. And one uh, among the studies that we did, um, we analyzed data from the American Time Use Survey, um, which captures for tens of thousands of working and non-working Americans how they spent a day, a sort of random day, and also how happy they were. And what we did was we calculated for each individual how much time they spent on discretionary activities. So how much time they had available to do whatever they wanted. And we collected other data <laughs> to see what counts as discretionary. Um, and we counted sort of relaxing. So quote unquote, doing nothing, uh, watching TV, uh, scrolling social media, we counted active leisure. So playing sports, going to watch sports, and socializing. So spending time with family and friends. And what the results told us was actually pretty surprising. Um, it showed a negative quadratic relationship. So an inverted U shape, an upside down U, like an arc or a rainbow. So that means that, yes, with too little time, people are unhappy. That was me in that sort of time poor state. But interestingly, on the other side of the arc, you saw that people were also unhappy. So those people, there is such thing as having too much time. In that particular data set, it suggested that beyond about five hours of discretionary time in the day, people were less happy. And we dug into that and uh, uh, with additional analyses and studies, and it suggests, and we found that we don't like to be idle, right? So having too much time, too many hours in the day with nothing to show for it, we feel unproductive, we feel like we don't have a sense of purpose, and are therefore less satisfied. So that led me to be like, okay, I can't quit my job, because I find fulfillment in not just being productive, but actually in the work that I do. Um, and so 
I knew that I would sort of <laughs> not feel fulfilled if I quit. So instead of quitting, I was like, okay, I need to figure out the solution here. The solution being how do we spend the time that we have in order to be fulfilled so that our days aren't just overly full, but feel fulfilling. And that sort of propelled my research since and led me to um, design this course that we can talk about, which then led me to write this book to bring these learnings um, to readers more broadly, because not everyone can get a seat in my class because there are only so many seats in my class. Yep. <laughs> and not everyone's an Anderson student. Um, so that is what I'm so excited about with Happier Hour of bringing these lessons to folks more broadly. Absolutely. Wow, that sounds so exciting. And, you know, Kevin and I were lucky enough to read your book and absolutely loved it. Like you said, uh, Kevin and I are both such data and uh, organized people. And there have been so many books ranging from kind of since books started about happiness. And we love the way that you use data and you use research studies and you've connected them all. Um, I've been really excited to read this book, but also a little, a little anxious about it because it's this idea of time. And uh, so I've been in therapy for many, many years um, since all throughout UCLA. Um, it was It's just something that's been really important to me and point of my mental health. And I was... Um, I was in this uh, session with my therapist, and my therapist turns to me one day and says, you know, you're obsessed with time. Um, and that's a strong thing for a therapist to say <laughs> to someone. And then that night, I, uh, that night or the next day, I was on a call with Kevin and our good friend Sophia, and I said, yeah, my therapist told me uh, I was obsessed with time. And then Sophia, our friend, turns to me and says, you absolutely are. Is this news to you? Um, and... So I was a little anxious about this book because I do spend a lot of time thinking about time. And often it's a lot of negative self-talk as well, right? It's often like, I'm wasting too much time. Why did I waste that much time? And I'm like, sometimes even to a point where I'm adding so much busy work into my schedule just so I feel more productive. And with all the different things that I want to do, I never feel fulfilled at the end of the day. So reading your book was... I was very nervous about it, but it was really interesting because I love the way you talk about how so much of this is mental. So much is how you talk to yourself. So can you tell us a little bit about the kind of the pitfalls people approach when yeah. they talk to themselves about time? Yeah. And Gaurav, you are not alone. Um, I too am obsessed with time. And so many people are, and it's, uh, but as you said, it's the sort of framing of it and the way we think about time and the way we approach it and the way we talk to ourselves about it that shifts it from being a sort of perhaps unhealthy obsession to a really wonderful and productive, not in terms of being productive, but um, healthy and worthwhile being intentional about time has really wonderful effects. And so the the shift or the pitfall, the way you asked about it, is that so many of us, and historically I did too, um, were thinking about time in terms of efficiency, of mm. maximizing efficiency and getting a lot of things done faster as the goal. Um, but the reframing, and that I really encourage folks to do, um, is to think about what's worthwhile. 
not about what is urgent, but what is important. And that reframing is um, truly helpful because it is not just about having things to do and the busyness. It is about being thoughtful and spending time in ways that are important to you and that matter for you, prioritizing them so that all the other noise, and you know, I can share the analogy of the golf ball thing, because it is so helpful. I have found it so helpful. It's about prioritizing time for what's worthwhile, not just letting all the other stuff rush in and fill our time and just sort of moving through them to get them done as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's super important for sure. Um, and the idea that we should really rethink how to arrange our time and, and not have urgency be maybe the single most important metric. Uh, but I think, you know, on that note, what's a good way for us to figure out when we're wasting time, you know, versus when we're not. Yeah. What are worthwhile ways to spend? Yeah. yeah and that's a really good question. And um, again, because you guys love data, I'll share <laughs> this particular exercise, but then we can talk about maybe a less data-driven exercise that is helpful too. Um, right. So time tracking <laughs> is the way to identify what are the activities that fill your days that are worthwhile versus those that are less happy and in some cases wasteful? So time tracking and I, there is a worksheet that you can find on my website, cassiemholmes.com, and uh, walking through this exercise in happier hour. Um, what it does is tracking your time for one week, or I would actually say two, so you get a more complete snapshot of the activities that fill your time. And for every half hour, writing down what you're doing, but even more importantly, having done that activity or even while doing that activity, rating on a 10-point scale, how happy did it make you feel? Is it making you feel? Um, and not just like happiness of like, oh, was it like pleasurable, but a really sort of complete assessment of how positive, how satisfying, you know, it might be that it was really energizing. It might be that it was really relaxing, but overall, how satisfying um, and happy was that activity? And what this allows you to do is that you have this data set at the end of the week or two, and you can look back across, across your activities and pull out what are those activities that had the highest ratings, so were the happiest activities. What are those activities that had the lowest rating, so the least happy? And I think even more helpful than that is not just looking at the activities, but looking what are the commonalities across those positive activities such that you can pull out the features of activities that are really positive for you, um, as well as the features of activities that are really negative um, for you? And not only can you sort of, does this help identify the your sort of happiest and least happy activities, but you also see how much time you're spending on various activities. So Gaurav, you're, you're concerned about waste. 
sometimes and often as I've had my students do this, there's sort of consistent findings that my students observe. And one of them being how much time they waste, in particular on social media, watching TV. Uh, For some, it's playing video games. And it's not that those activities themselves, that I'm saying that they're bad. It's that the folks are identifying, oh my God, I spent so much time on this and I'm like actually really busy in my life, but I spent like a dozen hours this week doing it. And actually my happiness rating is only like a four. Yet there is those activities that I, you know, quote unquote, don't have time to do, like meeting up with a friend for dinner because I'm so busy. I don't have time to do that. But that activity from the social connection would, you know, give you a nine or a 10. And so with this very concrete (laughs) data in front of you, you can see, you know, what are those times that you're quote unquote wasting because you're spending the sort of precious minutes. We only have, you know, a finite number of hours in our days and, you know, days in our week. And if we're spending so many of them on activities that aren't actually for a purpose <laughs> and we're not even enjoying them, then that's helpful because then we can sort of reallocate and be more thoughtful and deliberate as we're planning our next week of prioritizing, like taking those um, sort of happiest activities or planning activities that have the features of happiness that um, putting those in our weekly schedule. So we make sure that we spend the time doing them um, and not sort of letting the time get filled by potentially wasteful activities. And we can talk about, you know, some strategies for how, you know, like how to sort of maybe manage some of those negative activities that we see in our week. Yeah, I love the way you're talking about this. I love this idea of how much of this is the stories we tell ourselves about time. Like, uh, and huge thing that we do on the show, internal storytelling is like, it's what do you see as a waste of time or how you feel about time or this idea of, and you talk about in the book about how, oh, if you feel like you never have time for anything, you're gonna have never have time for anything. It's these stories and these self-fulfilling prophecies for this task. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's really interesting the way you lay it out and the way it's a step-by-step and the way it, there's so much amazing insight. Um, is there, I feel like if I was a student of yours, there'd be a lot of anxiety about doing this task for me. I don't know if that's just me, but <laughs> do you feel like uh, your students are like a little anxious about seeing it laid out or writing it all out or getting a little bit yeah. too focused on maximizing every single second of the day? Yeah, I mean, there is anxiety in um, going into it because it sounds like you were nervous even about reading this book because <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh, is it going to make me feel what, guilty or bad about how I'm spending? And that's certainly not the intent. And that's the reason that it's not someone else telling you, you should be spending your time in this way, or you shouldn't be spending your time in this way. It's you reflecting on your experience in those expenditures of time. Like if, you know, playing video games is a nine for you, that's fantastic. Or another observation you might have is like, actually that first hour of playing a video game is like super fun. But then you see, you know, like hour five, your ratings are like two, then that's really informative. It's not saying like, oh, I should not play video games. It's actually saying like, oh, I should chunk out have an hour. um, And like, have an hour, you know, at various parts of the week so that you get that ultimate enjoyment of it. 
um, and that you don't get um, diminishing returns, but not only diminishing, but like negative returns on that time spent. So it's not about judgment. It's about um, sort of looking at the data and it's not someone else telling you. It's you um, getting to sort of discover for yourself um, what feels fun so that you can do more of that. Um, so, and it is tedious. Like, so actually like not just the anxiety of going into it, but some of my students are like, oh my God, this was so tedious. But at the end of the quarter, I have my students uh, share what were uh, an activity or one of the exercises. So each week I have actually an assignment in the course, an experiential assignment. And then in the book, as you see a lot of those exercises, and I ask what was the most useful. And I, you know, I've seen students write like, even though it was pretty tedious tracking my time, it has proven so useful because it has influenced how I spend my time. And again, it's not about shoulds of how you should spend their time. It is being more intentional with this revelation of like, oh, these are things that are worthwhile. Like these are things that actually really make things fun. And like going back to my story, of, you know, that busyness on the train where I just felt so overwhelmed. I still am very busy. Like, I still have the career. I have two young kids. I am, you know, working to be a good friend. And, you know, I have household chores. I'm still doing it all. But I am prioritizing the time for the stuff that really makes me happy. And we can talk about not only the activities, but the mindset. And you guys talk about sort of the storytelling in our mind, but like, what are we thinking while doing those activities such that we get as much happiness from as possible from those activities? And it's not about necessarily, in often cases, it's not about the amount of time you spend on a particular activity. It's really how you're spending that time such that those happy activities have the biggest impact possible um, on overall happiness. We've talked a lot about uh, good ways to discern what are the activities that make us happy, that, that make us think is worthwhile, uh, that you know make us uh, feel fulfilled and important. But at the same time, there are so many different ways uh, for us to spend time. So there's so many activities out there that, you know, can seem productive. You know, you, you got stuff like taking on course, reading or, you know, exercising. Um, and there's stuff, as we said, that is seems less productive, like social media and TV and video games. And all of these different activities are, you know, th they're really competing for our time at the same time. So what are some good ways for us to make those appropriate choices? Totally. And it's a really good question because, yes, there are an endless number of activities that we can and we should, you know, and again, you know, like we, the stories we tell ourselves that we should be doing at every, in any moment. And there's not enough hours in the day, let alone in a lifetime, let alone in uh, tons of people's lifetimes to be able to do all of those things that we could do and think we should do. Um, and we can talk about some of the negative influences on those expectations of ourselves um, and then so how to combat that. So 
for one thing, in terms of what's driving this sense of having too little time. So what time poverty is. So what I was feeling on the train that night and a national poll that I conducted shows that almost half of Americans feel this way is time poverty. So feeling time poor is the acute feeling of having too much to do and not enough time to do it. Um, And as I mentioned, um, our national polls show that nearly half of Americans feel time poor. Um, And this is bad because it has really negative consequences. Um, When we feel time poor, we are less healthy. So we don't take the time necessary to exercise. We delay going to the doctor. We eat fast food because it's faster. Um, It makes us less kind. We don't take the time to help others out. Um, It makes us less confident in being able to achieve all that we want to and sort of set out to do. And it makes us less happy. And so I already shared some of the research of mine that shows the unhappiness from having too little time. Um, but what are, part of that definition is having too much to do and not enough time to do it. So our expectations of having what we have to do, um, are just that those are the stories that we're telling ourselves and our hypothesis and assert that, um, our technology is influencing our expectations. And by recognizing that we can sort of um, counteract that in our um, sort of personal storytelling. So our smartphones are amazing. They are so darn smart, like at our fingertips at every moment, because we always have our phones like with us, we can be doing everything. Kevin, you talked about like taking a course, you know, like, you can take a course on your phone these days. You can watch movies. You can watch TV shows. You can watch TED Talks. You can attend concerts like on your phone. Also, you can get tasks done. Like it allows us to go through a to-do list all the time. So there's all these things that we could and should be doing. Social media also exacerbates our sense of like what we could be doing at any moment, right? Because you can constantly see this like perfectly curated sort of glimpses into other people's lives. And of course they're curated because you're catching them at their happiest moment. You know, they're like out to dinner with friends. And the fact that you're looking at your phone means that you're probably on your couch alone, right? Or they're on an amazing vacation. And the fact that you're looking at your phone means that you're probably at home. But you're only seeing those moments from that one person, but because you're looking at lots of people, then it's like this constant sense of like, oh my gosh, I could be doing that and I'm not doing it. I could be doing that and I'm not doing it. So this FOMO is really um, negative in terms of our, and the research shows that it takes a hit on our self-esteem. It makes us feel more lonely. Um, This passive usage of social media, and it makes us less happy. And I assert that it also makes us feel more time poor because it is reminding us of all these things that we can be doing. And as as I said, of course, we don't have enough time to do any and everything we could and should be doing. So given that recognition, there's no way you're going to, you know, you can and should do everything. So then that's why the time crafting of identifying what does matter. Also, for those who don't want to do the perhaps 
quote unquote, for my one student, tedious task of tracking your time, um, you can just be reflective and ask yourself, like looking back over the last week, what were the moments that you felt most joyful? What were your happiest moments? And from that, you can be like, okay, these are the ways of spending time that are really worthwhile. These are the ways of spending that I should, should from yourself, from like a, you, like you feeling fulfilled perspective, that I should make sure that I protect time for in my coming week. So it's not pulling from a list of everything possible. It's pulling from your own introspection and reflection and data um, to determine how, um, where you're going to be allocating your time. That, friends, has been part one of our conversation with Dr. Cassie Holmes. We got to learn about Cassie's story, her happiness research, the stories we tell ourselves um, about time. And we also got a little bit into how we should decide on how to spend our time. What are the meaningful things to do? In part two, we will keep on digging into what is the best way to spend our time? How do we decide on that among everything we can possibly do in the world? Please stay tuned for part two of our conversation, which will be our next episode. In the meantime, if you like and enjoy our content, please make sure to subscribe to Linus in a Plastic Tie wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow us on Instagram at LSPTPod. LinkedIn, Linen Suit and Plastic Tie. Leave us a comment, a review, a rating to let us know how we can be better. Thank you for listening, and we are so glad to have you with us on this journey of becoming better storytellers. See you soon. <laughs>